0: We are on Surah Al-Ahqaf, Surah number 46, ayah number 1. Ayah number من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم حامين this completes the surahs that start with hamim, two of the broken letters, haruf al-muqata'at. And this is the final surah in this series, what we call the hawameem. Only Allah knows, the uh, true meanings of these letters and we've discussed some of the uh, maybe benefits of these letters before This is Tanzeel Kitab a descending, bringing down of revelation from Allah who is all supreme, mighty and all wise Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has the ability to communicate with human beings that shows he is Al-Aziz the supreme and the mighty the ability to endow within human beings the ability to receive Wahi and the ability to understand Wahi requires supreme abilities a lot of power, a lot of dexterity a lot of uh, knowledge and all of that. Without this power and ability, we would not be able to receive meaning through the prophets, nor would we be able to understand the word of Allah. The word of Allah is very, very heavy, exceptionally heavy that human beings are not capable of carrying the weight of the words. So that weight of the physical word of Allah also now is a representation of his Izza, his supremacy, his might. So whatever Allah has is mighty, is powerful. So when he communicates, the word he uses and the process he uses, the wahi is also very powerful is overwhelming and it's very difficult for an ordinary human being to actually carry that weight as we saw with the Prophet ﷺ. Initially he was not able to carry the weight until Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala made him capable of doing so. So that requires might and power which is there inherent in the word Al-Aziz. Yeah. So Aziz in that sense, is uh, the manifestation of his izzah is in creating the ability in the Prophets to carry the word. Because that word, as I said, is very powerful and very, very heavy. Inna sanul the Qur'an says to the Prophets, Al-Hakim is now the ability of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala represented in the prophet's abilities to understand the word, so one is to carry the word, and the other is to understand the word, which requires now knowledge, wisdom, a sense of appropriation in the prophets and in their followers. So this is now how we get now the meaning of Tanzil Kitab from the letters Hamim, Hamim was used by the Prophet Sallallahu at the time of battle, at the time of jihad. As is mentioned in several hadith, he would use Hamim, 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 la yunsurun, and so on. So it has a tremendous weight, and so on. Yeah, so this is Allah's Izzah, his supremacy, and Allah's knowledge in his wisdom. Is now the yeah, sifat of the attributes from which we get this revelation, tanzil, this descendants, this bringing down. is from the high place to a low place. The low place being, in terms of the cosmos, uh, the human beings on earth. Mm. So now that's the last place of descendants. So the final descendants is on the the qalb, the ruh the mind of the Prophets ما خلقنا As a manifestation of this izzah and supremacy and a manifestation of this divine wisdom, Allah makes this statement that we have not created the heavens and the earth and whatever is in between the two except with the truth, except with the real. So Allah is the real, the ultimate haq, and everything he does is with reality, with truth. There is no falsehood there, and uh, there is no uh, deficiency there, there is no inability there, and there is no imperfection there, and then the general purpose Is not for amusement and sport. There is a real divine purpose in the creation of the heavens and the earth and whatever is in between the two. So we've discussed the uh, might of the heavens, that they are so huge, enormous, uh, and the kursi and the arsh, they're the huge, enormous creations of Allah and everything else in between the two also. uh, there have to be a regard and appreciation for Allah's creations, so and He is the Divine Creator, and when He creates everything at the macro level and the micro level is haqq with the absolute truth, with a purpose, with reality. Wajalim musamma, and also that it is finite; it is not infinite. There is a term to this creation. This creation will be destroyed. And then there will be a recreation. And only Allah knows when that will happen. So it's for a term, a limited term. It is finite. is not infinite, as perhaps the physicists and the scientists might claim. The idea that matter is indestructible uh, doesn't really fly with us. Although it is with haq, it is still finite. Um, there's a term to ajalim, a fixed term. So one moment it will be destroyed, and then it will be recreated whenever Allah wants to recreate. So that is how we see the beauty and the wisdom through which Allah Subhanahu wa Taala creates. Yeah, those who disbelieve. Uh, they turn away from whatever they have been warned with. Uh, about. It's a prelude to the people of Aad. Hmm. The people of Aad were great builders. Hmm. Uh, they were great engineers and architects and they were able to bring in, as you will see, immense amount of water into the desert through their engineering and other skill sets that Allah gave them. Plus they were very huge in their physique, and they're very strong people, and they assumed nothing could overpower them. So those people who disbelieve, uh, they don't believe in Allah's creativity, Allah's supremacy, Allah's wisdom. They always turn away from any kind of warning that Allah gives them. But it is at their peril, and it is uh, not in their... Uh, to their advantage that they do this because of their disbelief. So disbelief here is not just necessarily disbelief that God exists, but in the ability of Allah uh, to do what he does. I'm not seeing the organization, the order, and uh, the supremacy of Allah's creation. قُلْ أرأيتم مَا تَدْعُونَ مِن دُونِ اللَّهِ أَرُونِ فِي بِكِتَابٍ مِنْ قَبْلِ The Quraysh would uh, have contentions against the Prophet and this revelation, and uh, they would have contentions against his knowledge, and why is he privy to this knowledge, etc. So in response to those allegations, and contentions, of Allah says, say that uh, do you see whatever you are calling, uh, meaning in terms of worship towards uh, anything besides Allah, then show me what they have created. Meaning these false idols and these statues that you worship, what do they create? Uh, they're just basically statues, they're dummies. There's no movement, there's no sense, uh, there's no volition. There's nothing in them. And Why are you worshipping statues uh, that have absolutely no prerogative? And more than that, no ability whatsoever. مَاذَا خَلَقُوا مِنَ الْأَرْضِ Of the earth, what have they created? They created nothing. Or do they have now an association or a share, shirkun, in the heavens that do they actually have a partnership with Allah in creating the heavens? Obviously the answer is no. They don't have any partnership with Allah. It's very obvious. You can just look at the mundane kind of things that Allah has created on earth. They don't seem to show any kind of volition. They just exist, basically. Yeah, especially in those things that we call nature, other than the animals and everything else that has movement and volition, at least limited volition, but the other things, in the minerals and the, 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 the land and the mountains, they're just there, basically. They're there because Allah has created them. So bring me a book before this, bring me a revelation before this revelation, In your community from your community meaning the Arab that the Arab had no Nabi before the Prophet they had no revelation before the Prophet and therefore they don't have access to this kind of knowledge which is based on Allah's knowledge meaning that you don't have a scripture a text that can tell you these realities Uh, That's number one. And the second one, Do you have any traces of evidence that will give you knowledge and some kind of understanding? Meaning that even if you were to look into all the folklore and the poetry that you have in the oral tradition, traces of knowledge, then bring me evidence where people have said these words or mentioned these concepts and ideas and so on. So there is no scripture and there is no history in your history uh, that can vouch for you knowing anything what I say from Allah and therefore your knowledge is severely limited and my knowledge is from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala directly. So there's a contention against their epistemology, basically. If you want to go that route. So where do you get your knowledge from? Where do you receive your knowledge? And so on. So the one is your scripture and you don't have a book. Or the other is your own history experience, which is also severely lacking in kuntum sadiqin, if indeed you are truthful, meaning that if you don't have access to this knowledge, it is because you don't have the means to this knowledge. So that's two different things. Having access to knowledge and having the means to access. knowledge. If you're not into computer science, then you don't have access to how the computer works, how the software works, how the hardware works. You don't know, you don't have access to it. So just because you don't have access to something doesn't mean say it's not there yeah and the other is that you don't know yeah so now how how do you ascertain through your logic that this knowledge is not real simply because you don't have access to it yes again it 's more of an argument against their epistemology or the lack of their epistemology yeah who is going to be much more in error, who is going to be much more misguided than the ones who call towards anyone besides Allah. Hmm? The one that they will not be answered on the day of judgment, and they will not respond to him, to Allah on the day of judgment, and they will be, in calling them uh, oblivious and unaware of the ones they are calling and petitioning and here also in terms of the word du'a also their ibadah their worship meaning that they will have no response on the day of judgment so either you have this idea that they have volition here in this world or they have some power in the other world and neither one is true so Allah is now addressing the mindset of the Quraysh, that they, they have no foundation for true knowledge, and they don't understand how true knowledge works, and they have no idea of the Day of Judgment, and they don't know how the Day of Judgment works either. So they are totally deprived of understanding wahi because they reject, and they're in a state of kufr and when people are resurrected, meaning on the day of judgment, they will become their enemies. the idols will become their enemies. they will become the enemies of the idols, and they will be now disbelievers of worshipping them and so on. Yeah, so now they will disown their own idea of worshipping false idols. this Obviously, in the context of maybe not just statues, but other ideas, ideologies, you may extend it as long as you keep the first meaning in place, that it is referring primarily to the idols, and then to objects of worship, mentally, psychologically, ideologically, philosophically, whatever that is. Everybody creates their own idols in their own minds, and they will now disavow, disown them, on the Day of Judgment, there is no one there uh, to help them on the Day of Judgment. So they will be totally bereft. The other ploy or tactic that people uh, use is to discredit the messenger. Mm -hmm. One way is to discredit the message. And the other is to discredit the messenger. And then thirdly, it uh, is uh, to discredit, uh, what do you call it? you know, Undermine those who follow the messenger. Mm. So there are certain ploys that people use. This one is to discredit uh, the messenger. Mm. That here, this messenger is now a magician. Uh, either he's a poet or he's a magician. If he has knowledge, then he's a poet. And if he does things, then he's a magician, he's a sorcerer, meaning that he has some unnatural, or supernatural and um, powers within him, and he's using those powers of magic and witchcraft uh, to mesmerize people and to deceive them. Yeah. So when our signs are recited to them that are evident, self-evident, those who disbelieve the truth when these signs come to them, they say, This is an open magic and witchcraft and sorcery and so on. That is to discredit the messenger, that the messenger is not truthful or honest. He has no integrity because the means he uses are evil. I, so that's how they uh, now stop others from following the Prophet sallam. One is that they don't want to follow, and the other to make sure that they keep power and authority within themselves. They describe the messenger so that people don't flock towards him. And it usually works until the time comes for people to accept. <laughs> will be this magic. Yeah, I mean, that is not a natural phenomenon. These things don't happen. Were ordinarily, but they happen only if someone has the ability to influence nature and so on. So there are many ways to do that. One way is through the occult and so on. So the Arabs knew the occult because they themselves would go to the people who practiced the occult. So they knew about magic and witchcraft. It was very common amongst them in their, in their culture. And they... Had poetry about it, they would sing songs about it. And some of them would invite the jinns, communicate with the jinns, and they would have these processes, uh, these kind of rituals that they sometimes would now use in order to bring about certain uh, changes in the, the nature and the, the people around them. Okay? But it's based on falsehood. Sihr uh, is based on. Falsehood. It's not based on the truth. There's no haq in there. But since there is a power in falsehood, at least perceived power, uh, yeah, so you have to be careful with that. You can't simply dismiss it because it's false. Falsehood, as you can see, rules the world today. There's a lot of power. <laughs> Kufr is falsehood, but it rules the world. And so I'm saying, yeah, so you have to be careful how not to dismiss these things. Uh, casually Oh, no, man. they they do matter because they, you're a victim of them. You're a victim of falsehood. You're you in this uh, you know capsule of bottle, and that's the only way, unfortunately, you exist. So this sihr, now what they perceived, is actually a very deep allegation against the Prophet صلى It is not casual. Oh, he's this magician. No they use these words because it was part of their culture so in the minds of the polytheists and the people who'd come to mecca they knew that this is a phenomenon that people use okay. so in order to make sure they don't follow the prophet they dismissed him as a magician he has no reality with him he's false you understand so if you read it casually so it's not big it is a big deal so obviously it's an allegation unfortunately of the lowest order and it really hurt the Prophet that people would say this about him especially when he was always a very pleasant person he had no evil traits within him before Nabuwa, and so on So this goes a long way to demoralizing the messenger which he was you must believe the Prophet is a human being, right? so when these things as being said and flung against him, he's hurt. And he's not a robot. He's a human being. He's hurt by these allegations. Psychologically, he's hurt. And then this goes to the Sahaba's mindset, the few people who are with him, and so on. So he didn't want them to be hurt either because of his being hurt and emotionally, uh, kind of not necessarily impaired, but at least afflicted in some way, shape, or form. So these, meaning the Quraysh, were evil, and they used their evil to uh, demoralize the Prophet ﷺ, which is another tactic. Okay? That you, you dismiss the messenger by calling him names, but the names have to match the reality of the community. It can't be something that extravagant that the community doesn't relate to it. So the Arab community, the people who lived in the desert, they knew this, that this is a phenomenon that some people use in order to influence people, in order to manipulate people. So it was customary for them to do that at some time, so they just brought it into the norm, that this is normal, and he's just a normal magician. He shouldn't be taking that seriously. That dismisses the message, right? Yes, it's very well done, very clever, and it was orchestrated with strategy and planning. They would meet to plan this. You know what I'm saying? uh, All of a sudden they said this. No, they met, they strategized, and they planned to make sure that uh, no one would follow the Prophet ﷺ. It was very organized. Yeah, So we we must appreciate that level of sophistication within the kuffar also. Why, Musa Al people just dismiss Firon as an idiot. No, he was the ruler of a mighty empire. He couldn't have been that stupid. <laughs> it was planned, it was organized, it was strategic. And that's where uh, Muslims will find, inshallah, fodder for their... Organization, their planning, etc., and strategizing. And so things don't happen instantaneously and spontaneously. And this, they came up with this idea, and all of a sudden they, they told everybody that he's a magician. No, it was organized. It's something that uh, we must appreciate that then the the rebuttal then makes much more sense when you're going to dismiss their contention based on your planning, your organization, and your strategy. And that has to be somewhat planned and thought through uh, before you start calling others names uh, and so on. Anyway, this is Another ploy that they use was this. He's just an inventor. He's telling lies and so on. Again, this is planned. They thought of this and uh, they had meetings. Uh, in the open clandestine meetings, in secrecy, in, in privacy, uh, in public they had these meetings and uh, they had to think through this very carefully so that they weren't now seen as plotters because when the, the pilgrims come into Mecca in the Muslim and they come for trade and business and they have other guests frequent in the Haram throughout the year then they're going to think twice about why, why is the Quraysh saying this about this person whom they would call al uh, Why would they do this? And, uh, so that they had to think of a way to make sure that their allegations were not dismissed. Okay? That's the reason why we must take these allegations very seriously. Another allegation, and the ploy, the tactic, is that they would say he, he is now a fabricator. He forged these ideas and he invented them, and uh, so on. Say, O Muhammad Sallallahu in response to their allegations uh, against you, fabricating and lying and inventing. And so that if that is the case, then uh, you don't own or control anything uh, for me, in me, against Allah whatsoever. Then the fabrication is on me, not on you. Uh, even if you can see that it's a the fabrication, then you will be questioned about it. <laughs> yeah. He knows most, he knows better then whatever it is that you have in mind in casting doubt against me, whatever you are sending down towards me, uh, offering me, etc., that Allah will take care of me. But if you feel that I'm fabricating, inventing, then it will then fizzle out by itself. It has a natural time limit. And these rumors, if they're rumors, if they're fabrications, they'll just fizzle out. You don't have to worry too much about them. Why are you so concerned that uh, you're calling these things, these realities, fabrication? Uh, he is um, enough as a witness between me and you. So the Prophet uh, would always resort to Allah for his defense. And then that is how he would then come out of this uh, issue and problem. Resort to Allah, it will strengthen him, strengthen his imam, strengthen the iman of his followers. And that is how he went forward with his mission. He was not deflated to the point where he would give up. So prophets don't give up. Even though they are hurt, they will not give up their mission. الرحيم, he is the most forgiving and he is the, most, uh, the, the one who has immense rahmah. And so on. So Allah forgives. If there is anything that the Prophet may insert into his discussion from his side which is incorrect, then Allah will forgive because that's part of his mission uh, to now use his ishtihad to convey the message. And, yeah, so the Prophets receive wahid, they internalize it, they intellectualize it, and then they speak it. And they articulate it. And that, that articulation requires wordings of their own, which is not the Qur'an. Okay? So in that sense, if there is a discretion, indiscretion, or perhaps something that Allah did not want, then Allah will forgive the Prophet for that. As a sign that the Prophet would use his own intellect and wisdom. On, obviously, most of the times, 99.9% of the time, he was always correct in his articulation. On occasion there might have been one or two minor, minor slips which the Quran addresses once or twice. But that is not the point. The point is Allah is forgiving of his prophet. So he does not blame the prophet for anything the prophet does. And that's the point here. So we can't blame the prophet. For anything he does either. So that's the rule for the Muslims. We see the Prophets as the totally forgiven, masum, And rahimallah rahim Allah will then uh, dispense his rahmah according to the rank of the Prophet, which is the highest rank in Jannah. Yeah. Yeah, a huge statement here. Say, O Muhammad, وسلم, I'm not a new thing in the history of messengers, mm, The paraphrase the meaning there. I mean, I'm not a new messenger, the, neither am I new, the messenger, neither or nor is my message new in human history. So I'm not inventing anything that is not part of human history to begin with. In human history, this message of Tawheed is as old as Adam, basically. Yeah, he has been there since time immemorial, He's not a new kid on a block, it's not something new to human civilization, Tawheed and Akhirah and worship and Wahi and so on, it's always been there in human history and you know the stories of the surrounding areas around the Arabian Peninsula, what happened to Nuh, what happened to Ad, what happened to Zamun, what happened to Firaun in Egypt and what happened to the people of Lut and what happened to other civilizations in around you, what happened to Sheba and other civilizations. You know these stories because you talk about them in your folklore and your storytelling and so on. So I'm not a new messenger. My message is not new. I am the last brick in the house of prophethood. I'm not the first one, nor am I the only one. I'm the last one. I came to complete the house of prophethood. So now this is a huge statement against the Quraysh that you can condemn me for innovation and fabrication if I'm the first person to say this. But I'm not the first person to say this. There have been thousands before me who have said the same thing. So how can you blame me for being an inventor and being a fabricator, etc.? Et Again, this is how... The Qur'an summarizes the position of Tawheed and the Akhirah in terms of human history. So, Adam, salam, Nuh, salam, Ibrahim, salam, Musa, salam, they all came with the same message. There's no difference. The message, the principles of the message, the usul, are all the same. I'm not a new messenger. Okay. I mean, even in terms of the Sharia, these points and values in Sharia, if you take the word Rusul. From Rasul to be exactly what it is, I mean, a very particular type of Nabi uh, which has law. And then the, the principles in the laws that Allah gives are there in human history and what we call the natural law and civilizational laws. Okay. So every civilization will understand the need for these rules and regulations. You don't cheat, you don't lie, you don't rob, you don't steal and you don't kill, and you don't fornicate, and you don't commit adultery, uh, etc., etc. These laws are very common in human society. It's not something that is unheard of in human society. It is very clear that I'm following a human civilizational path, which, as I said, is old as Adam. I'm not new, nor is this message new. And you, as leaders of the Quraysh and leaders of the peninsula should know this, uh, that your, some of your customs and practices are not in line with human history. They are aberrations. Okay? They're anomalies. You've gone off the track. The shirk is not part of human history. Shirk is a total aberration of human beings and their aqidah about Allah. That's the abnormal thing Tawheed is a normal thing. So now the Prophet ﷺ is being asked to flip the paradigm. I'm normal, you are normal. Right? Uh, this is very, obviously it's more jizat from the Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, very, very ingenious way of arguing. This is now, this, when we see uh, you know, Western civilization and we read Surah Fatiha, غير عَلَيْهِمْ والدالين. Uh, Surah Fatiha is saying to Muslims when they're reading Fatiha, that you are the normal human beings. The maqlub alayhim, those who have incurred Allah's wrath, and those who have gone astray, they're aberrations. So when you live in society, whether it's this society and this society, on the planet, you are normal human beings. Everything else is abnormal, so you should behave as normal, and not concede defeat even before you start talking about yourselves. So you should have a sense of pride, a sense of integrity, a sense of saying, I belong to human history, whereas you don't. This uh, Trinity is an aberration. The laws that you've distorted from the Torah, in the Torah, they're aberrations, they're distortions, they're not normal. We as Muslims, we have normal understanding of life, of creation, of nature, of Tawheed, of Akhlaq, Ethics, Morals and the Akhirah, we are the normal human beings. You, your Mahrubalim or your Dalim. Either one of them or you're both. Okay? So when you read Surah Fatiha in every Rakat, you are saying to all of humanity, Hey, very This is Sirat al Mustaqim. We are following the right path. Whereas those, they're definitely not following the right path. So Muslims should be proud and should hold his head high in society instead of being defeated, of being kind of pushed to the corner of societal discussion and discord, What uh, well, not discord, conversation and narratives. So here, the Prophet ﷺ, in this ayah, has been asked to tell the Quraysh that I'm normal. I'm part of the human tradition of messengers and prophets. You're abnormal. Your understanding of life is totally perverted, whereas my understanding of life is purely human." So you must understand the depth of this ayah, that we must represent this ayah in our psyche first, in our consciousness first, deep down within ourselves. We must feel that we are normal. So (laughs) a discussion where, where, unfortunately, people are making the aberrations normal, and they're making sin normal, uh, and they're making kufr normal, and shirk normal, then we have a problem, because then Muslims, they unfortunately succumb to peer pressure, and the pressure of society, and then social media, and God knows what, political uh, blackmail, basically. You're either with us, or you're against us. Hello? (laughs) If that isn't political, now coercion, then what is? That's not freedom. Yeah, so, you have, to, you have to respect the wisdom in this statement. Say, I'm not a new messenger. This came from Adam. I'm normal. You, you're abnormal. You're perverted. I'm sane. You're insane. Yeah, unless you have that attitude, you will not survive. Never mind, succeed. You won't survive as a Muslim in this country. You have to have that grit in you. That you have to have the confidence in you to say, I am the Sirat al Mustaqeem. You, you're Ghair al Makhdoobi or you're you're one of those two. Or maybe both, as I said. This is the straight path. What you have is not the straight path. Uh, So, this is uh, the instruction for the Prophet and his Sahaba in Makkah, where they're seen as total misfits and strangers and foreigners, and they're seen as weirdos, basically. Like Muslims, when they speak about Islam today, they're seen as weirdos. You don't fit into society. How can you not take sides of gays and lesbians? Oh, uh, how can you not say that the atheists deserve a place on the table? No, they don't. Uh, so this, The normalization of kufr and shirk and perverted ethics and morals is what this eye is addressing, that everything I have in my message is part of normal human history and civilizational values. If you go against it, then you're perverted. You're abnormal. You're the aberration. You're the anomaly. You don't belong here, even though there are few. How many are there? There's probably the later uh, kind of revelations in Mecca, maybe 80, 90 people. And the Quraysh and the Kuffar are so many. So it doesn't matter that you're a minority. You have to have the right idea, concept, akhida, and value in order for you to be a normal human being. So that the abnormality comes from not understanding the values that came with Adam in Jannah. That's where the values come from. They come from Jannah, basically. Well, these values of life, civilizational codes and ethics, etc. Anyway, so this was a a, a huge blow to the Quraysh when this eye was revealed. They were just floored. They were paralyzed by the statement. Oh, wow. Where do you go from this? How do you answer this? How do you respond to this? We can't, uh, because he is right. We do know about uh, Nuh and Fir'aun and Ad and Thamud, because we we travel there. We know about Yemen and we know about all these uh, people. And we know how their dwellings are no longer there. We know how they were destroyed, if not punished. We know what their message was. So we can't refute this point of view from the Prophet Muhammad. بي as far as the Akhirah, I don't know what's going to happen to me or to you. I don't know. I can't give you that ilm of the ghayb. Allah knows, but I do know that if I follow Allah's orders, inshallah, he will save me and he will not punish me. Uh, that is how we construct this value of najat and salvation. We don't know who Allah is going to save and who doesn't. We know that the rules are there, that are rules from wahi and those rules we follow. And we hope Allah will forgive us and so on. When yeah. Firon asked Musa what's going to happen to the previous people? You're saying that this is salvation. What about those people who came before me? Musa says the same thing. That their knowledge is in with my Lord in a written book I don't know. I don't know what that book says. (laughs) So this is a statement of truth. So I don't know what's going to happen to me or to you. What I do know, whether Allah will now identify the kafir in this world, that's through wahi, that's different. You have Abu Lahab and Abu Jahal, they've been identified through wahi. So that I know because Allah tells me. Right. I know this person, Munafiq, 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 after Tabuk. Later on, in the, media, the Prophet was told this, one's munafiq, this one, Munafiq, this That he knew because of Wahi, not because of his own knowledge. So, knowledge through Wahi is different from knowledge through human intellect, uh, imagination, and sometimes speculation. So, we can't pinpoint and say definitively that this man who just died here is going to hell. The only way to know that is if you have wahi, and since we don't have wahi, we can't say that. But we can have the general rule, إِنَّ اللَّهَ لَا يَخْرَعِي يَشْرَقَ That's the general rule. And we follow that, that Allah will not forgive shirk and so on. So we don't identify because we don't know. And because we don't know, except, uh, we won't do janazah on them because they're not Muslim. That's the rule. That's the hukum. So we don't do that. Tabi'u illa ma All I do is simply follow what has been revealed to me. Yeah. So if there's revelation, I'll expose the revelation because revelation is meant to be exposed, not hidden. So if Allah tells me, He's my uncle. I don't want to think that way about my own uncle because he's my blood. And it would hurt the Prophet if someone did that, uh, one sahabi was reading the Surah Sabbat Yada many times in the mosque and the Prophet and told him to stop. Don't do this. He's my uncle. Again, that that humanness, sometimes we overlook and he's just a robot. No, he's a human being. He feels the pain for his uncle being in the fire. He feels it. And we have to appreciate this, that when uh, people become Muslim and they, they unfortunately have you know, this reality that hits them. That maybe my parents or grandparents are in hell. It hits them. It's pain. Sometimes we treat the prophets and the Sahaba as robots. They didn't have any pain, emotion. No, they had more pain than we can imagine. So here, if through wahi, Allah tells me this one's going to hell. I have to reveal that as part of my amanah. Not because I want him to burn in hell. You understand? Yeah, so there's a difference between the humanness of the Prophet wasallam, and the final word and decree of Allah. Uh, that's who he is. He's Maliki Umiddeen. Yeah? But in the human construct, we have to appreciate the humanness of all the prophets that Nuh said, uh, you're going to save my son. So as a human being, he's hurt that his son is not saved. He's not a robot. He didn't care. Of course he cared. It hurt him. He was grieving. Right. So that, I think people just dismiss as if it's nothing. It's a huge thing. That's part of their mujahada, their struggle. When Abu Talib doesn't accept Islam, it's a huge thing for the Prophet It is painful. Uh, and because of the sabr on that pain, he's rewarded. Yeah, so we must appreciate that they're not robots, they're human beings. They function the way we do, they think the way we do, they act and react the way we do, and perhaps sometimes even more than we do. And so, so we have to appreciate that if wahi comes to the Nabi, he has to expose it, he cannot conceal it. Otherwise, he's punished. No debi ever concealed any wahi. The nature of wahi is that it is a revelation. It has to be revealed. Uh, So now the Shi'a say that he concealed. Uh, This was concealed. This eye is concealed. That's not the case. The Prophet did not conceal any revelation, uh, even though he, he may have selected some people to share certain forms of revelation, but nevertheless, he revealed everything that was now given to him by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and from the other world. And that's in ma I only follow what has been revealed to me. The first following is the recitation and the revelation itself. The exposure of that is following. That's number one. Number two, then you act upon the hukum that is there, explicitly or implicitly, in that revelation. I am nothing except an open warner. So my duty is to warn you of this reality that Allah is informing me of. I don't have any other duty except to do that, if it's in matters of evil and a bad fate. So if there's a bad fate waiting for certain people, I have to inform them as a warner, and if there's glad thing, good things, then I will give them glad tidings as a bashir. So now he has a dual role as a Bashir to reveal the glad tidings to people. So when he reveals to Abu Bakr, he will be in Jannah. That's through revelation. It's not favoritism. You understand what I'm saying? That somehow some people might say it's favoritism. He had the Quraysh and they were Qurayshi. And there are some of the this this and that. No. It is about revelation. You expose revelation. So if Allah says that this person is in Jannah then the Prophet has to say that to people. He has to reveal it. He has to expose it. He can't hide it. uh, Because some people might say this, this and that. He has to say everything. So even in giving glad tidings people will still have comments and ideas and allegations against the Prophet. And they usually have allegations against the Prophet when he's given warning. Also. Either way. Uh, The prophet is now being tested uh, from both angles and so on. So anyway, this is a a discussion on the prelude to the people of the Akhaf, the sand dunes, that the story will be mentioned, inshallah, soon, that uh, people, when they have might and power, they must uh, realize there's another mightier, uh, much more powerful being than they are, and that is their creator. And they must be aware of this so that they are not destroyed in this world and in the world hereafter. Jazakumullah khair. We'll stop here for today. May Allah allow us to uh, recite and understand the words of the Qur'an and give us tawfiq to follow them. Also, ameen, I ya Rabbil Alameen. Wa sallallahu ta'ala wa khaira khawki, Muhammad wa alihi wa sahabihi wa Bi rahmatika, ya Rahmah, wa